Well, we welcome you today uh, to Weston Park Baptist Church on this Easter Sunday. Trust that uh, you and your families will have a wonderful day or with your friends uh, as you're able to be mindful of God's goodness in uh, Christ for us and what that means for us as followers. So happy Easter to you. We have been traveling through the season of Lent, uh, looking at the Gospel of Mark, and this past week uh, has been the Holy Week, Paschal Week. And now we come to Easter Sunday, and the text that I want to use is is a text that often we don't look at for Easter Sunday, but it deals with the question of who is Jesus, so what is the identity of Jesus, so I think it's a a good text to use, a different angle on our story, on our truth of the incarnation of Jesus and his life for us. So we're going to look at the end of Mark 4, 35 through 41. And the story reminds us of Jesus and his disciples out in the Sea of Galilee amidst the storm. So I'm going to use a few images just to kind of help us get the picture in mind. Here is one of Christ and the disciples in the boat. And it's interesting that from the very early years of the Christian tradition, the, this picture of Christ and his disciples in the boat is a symbol of uh, the church. It's the symbol of Christ with us uh, in our own local fellowships, in our community of faith that Jesus travels with us. We are in the boat of the church. And we'll notice here that the, the mast is depicted as a cross. And so that, that's part of the symbol. We have the disciples, Jesus in the middle there. We, they're out in the waves of the Lake of Galilee and the mast is the picture of the cross. So that image is one that we have in early church history. And that can be a symbol that maybe uh, helps fund our own, our own walk. Here's a, another one. This is the famous uh, painting by Rembrandt of the same idea of Christ and the disciples in the storm. And you can see the light there on the, towards the left a little bit of, uh, of Christ and uh, also the mast on an angle. That's the, the picture of the cross. So it's, it's the same image, but you know, it, done in a masterful way by uh, Rembrandt. So, second one. And it's interesting that actually the uh, World Council of Churches used this symbol as a symbol of the church through all of the travails of the Second World War. So during the, the, you know, the reign of the Nazis and their battles with the, with the West and with the world, really, um, this symbol was being used and continues to be used today. And then one last image we uh, have is a archeological find called the Jesus Boat. I've actually seen this boat. It's in a small museum um, near Capernaum or on the shore of, uh, shores of the Lake of Galilee. And this boat was found in the bog area of the lake. And it's, it was only found, I think, 30 or 40 years ago. So it's relatively new. It's now housed in a humidified room to protect the wood. But this boat is 26 feet long, 
has a width or beam of eight feet, and it would hold some 12 to 15 people. And, and these were the standard boats on the Lake of Galilee, first century. So this would have been a boat like exactly like this that Jesus and his disciples were in as they traveled from one side of the Lake of Galilee to the other. So we can keep this image in mind, the Jesus boat. And you'll note that you know, it, the sides are not, are not huge, right? So if you get 12 to 15 people in that boat, it's going to be fairly heavy in the water. And you can imagine if you're in a really stormy um, few hours and the Lake of Galilee was known to blow up because it was surrounded by mountains, so it's, it, the winds would come in and would just gust uh, around the lake and storms would indeed come up with the changes of temperature and so on. And the water would fill in the boat very quickly. So you can imagine this scene as we hear it, as we read it in Mark 4, 35 to 41, the disciples with Jesus in such a boat um, as we've looked at. So with that in mind, the theme we're going to keep in mind is the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? The disciples asked that question. We'll see it in our text. So beginning in verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, that is Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. Note it is evening, all right? So they're going out when it's getting dark. So that adds a certain sense to the story. Verse 36, and leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. And a great gale arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. So what a number of commentators suggest is that this has the ring, as we read through it, of, of an actual eyewitness story. This is an eyewitness witness. They know the time that they leave. They know the fact that there are other boats traveling with them. They are there. The great storm comes up. This is an eyewitness. Somebody in the boat later has written this down or at least told the story to others, and they get a sense of that. And you'll note in red there, a great gale arose. And we're using that sequence of great, a great gale, a great calm, a great fear, to kind of walk through our story. The Greek word is great. That's there in each of these situations. So there's this great storm that comes up. Indeed, a, a whirlwind could be translated, a great whirlwind. So it's almost like a tornado was racing across the lake. It's a whirlwind. So here we have then the disciples in the boat. You remember the disciples, a number of them are fishermen. So they uh, have experience with the water. They know what it's like to be out in the lake, caught up in a storm. They've had this experience before. So they know. Remember that Jesus is a carpenter. Jesus' experience is not out on the lake. And so when Jesus says, hey, what are y'all so worried about? You know, he's speaking in their mind as the carpenter, and they're the fishermen, and they know that, hey, we have every right to be upset because we may go down. So there's a difference in experience that they are mindful of. So they're out there in, in the waters. It's getting dark. Maybe it's already dark. It's evening. Sun's gone down or going down. 
and the wind blows up in a, in, a, in a really strong way, a strong way, they have a full boat of people and they're worried that it may go down. So that's the first scene, a great gale. And it symbolizes for us as for them of what we may call living under the human overcast. I like that phrase, the, the cloud bank of humanity that we often feel. We can't see the sunny skies here in Toronto right now. There, it had just was raining very heavily. It's dark outside, not a lot light coming in the church. Under the cloud bank. And we often feel that way. I mean, if you're in Ukraine or the Russia right now, you definitely feel like you're living under this overcast, the human overcast, the cloud bank. Not a lot of sun is getting through, metaphorically. And we can feel that way. Your own situation may be like that. I just finished reading a journal of one of my students, won't name the student obviously, but he, he just makes the comment that, you know, my family celebrations are, are not great. Over the years, they've been a source of a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And he says, when I come to these festive seasons, I just want to get in a car and drive away because there's no memories of anything good. So come to Easter, I just want to get in my car and drive away. I read that, I thought like, wow, that's, that's, that's part of the human overcast. That's feeling the pain that we often carry. We, we noticed last week the story of Jesus and his own family, the resistance of his family, um, re reaction against him, not trusting, not believing. We feel that in our own way. And that can lead to our own interior storms. You know, we have a storm here in the Lake of Galilee. We can have a storm in our own hearts, our own mind, even as we come up to Easter. And, you know, we may not even want to go to church because of my own inner storm that I'm carrying, or you are carrying, or your family is carrying, or your country is carrying, whatever. And that can also lead to our own feeling of the absence of God. Theologically, we know that God is always with us. If we are Christians, we believe in God's presence with us in Jesus. We, we know that he is with us, but we can feel like he is absent. And so we can yell out, where are you? Because I, I, I don't feel you. I feel more your absence. So all, all of this is going on in, in this first episode as Mark writes this. He wants us to be feeling and experiencing even what the disciples are experiencing in that moment. So there's a great gale experiencing their own human overcast, their own interior storm. Story carries on, but he was in the stern, that is Jesus, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? There you go. Do you not care? And he woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And then the wind ceased, and there was a dead or great calm. English, we have dead calm there. It's actually great calm. And there was a great calm. 
So Jesus is asleep in the, storm, in the stern of the boat, the rear of the boat, even as all this storm is going on. You know, in the book of Proverbs, there are references to having the sleep of God's presence, of knowing and faith and trust in God and just going to sleep restfully amidst all the storms of the exterior world. And this is what Jesus is experiencing. In the midst of a storm, he's asleep in the stern. And now the storm is raging and the disciples are really worried and they actually go back and they wake him up and they say, do you not care? Even as often we feel in the midst of our storms and we yell out, do you not care? I experience the absence of God, so I yell out, whether vocally or in my mind, do you not care? We've all probably said that somewhere along the line. You may be saying that right today, right in your own situation, your own storm. And you say, God, where are you in the midst of this? Teacher, do you not care? Do you not care what is happening? So then Jesus stands and he just says two words and it's peace, be still. In the Greek, it's just two words, just settle down. He's speaking directly to the wind and to the waves. Be calm. And it is calm. Even as Jesus is able to calm our storms, our interior storms. And so you see where the, the, the text is, is dealing with and is probing the identity of Jesus. Is Jesus just a man? Or is there more about him? And of course, we know for Mark, the writer, that Jesus is human and he is divine. It is this commingling of humanity and divinity and Jesus' authority over the elements. So in the Old Testament, the Red Sea story, for example, God parts the waters, right? Israelites go through. And, and, and what Mark and the other evangelists are writing is that Jesus shares that kind of characteristic of being able to be Lord of nature, Lord of history, and be able to engage in a way that we can't the forces of nature. So he can say to the wind and to the waves, be calm. And of course, as moderns, we might hear that and just, you know, just dismiss it. Say, that's impossible. That can't be done. No way. So any miracle, we just say, no way. But it's interesting, I was just reading a, a Christian a physicist, Polkington, and, and, he, and he, when he co comes to the miracles, he just says, let me tell you, he's a, he's a world-class physicist. He says, if you have a chance to talk with a physicist, you ask them the question, is this, whatever the this is, is this completely impossible? Could a person calm some agency, the wind and the waves? Is that impossible? And he says, whenever you ask a physicist that, they will get very nervous. And they will not want to say, it is impossible. Because in their mind, there is always the possibility that we don't understand things. And in rare cases, it could be possible. Interesting, when I read that, thought of this story. 
So we may hear this story and wonder how it could happen. The gospel writer says Jesus stood up and he speaks and the wind calms down and hence obviously the waves start coming down. The waves are a reaction to the wind. These forces are calm. That's how the story carries on. And then Jesus says, why are you afraid or why are you timid? It's not the usual word for fear there. Why are you timid, lacking courage? Have you still no faith? Here's the emphasis on faith. Faith here is not just an intellectual assertion or conviction. Faith is an active trust in God. Have you no faith? Active trust. That's what Jesus is going after. And the response, and they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the second scene was Jesus speaking and bringing calm on the waters, exploring the identity of who is this Christ, both human and both divine. And then now we have this third unit, the great awe or the great fear, the word there, great, same word through the three cases. They were filled with great fear. They were fearful of great fear. That's how it, how it reads. But when, when it uses that idea, it, it's just they're blown away. Who can stand up and say to the waves and the wind, be calm, and these forces actually respond? So then they ask, who then is this? That's our key question. Who then is this? Who is Jesus? That even the wind and the sea obey him. That's what they're asking. That's what Mark the writer is raising, and on this Easter Sunday, 2022, it's asking us to consider the question, who then is this? Who then is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to our community of faith? Mark's asking that. And so it's, it's asking us, you know, where is our faith? Where is our trust? Do we continue to live in the house of fear or will we move into the house of love? And so often we just remain in this house of fear. It's a call to this act of faith. That is the invitation that Mark is raising. So as we conclude then, we have a couple of points we want to sum up with. So one, the key question is, who is Jesus and will you trust him? Will you trust Jesus in an ongoing way? In your life, not just an intellectual assertion, not just that, hey, I was raised in a Christian family and I'm a Christian because my parents are Christians. I'm a Christian because my friends are Christians. I'm a Christian because my girlfriend is a Christian. You know, it's not that. Here we're asking, do you trust him? That's a pivotal question for us. And not only trust him, as we are disciples, will we desire to mature or deepen in our faith? In all the spheres of our lives, go over the wall if you're a diver and go down deeper, deeper to see those deeper corals. I was just mindful of story of two teenagers in Florida diving and while they're diving they see a great white down there 
And one of them just is so excited, he starts swimming down to the great white, actually grabs his tail. <laughs> he says later, that was kind of silly, but he was just so excited. And, he, and the great white just kind of shook it off and went away. But he's going deeper, going deeper to see the more exciting things that are there. And, and we're invited to go deeper in our faith, not just level out. It's not a static thing. We are in relationship with the living God, and we can go through long periods of being static or stagnant, leveling off for whatever other reasons, because of interior storms that we are, you know, struggling with, whatever, and we just, and we stop growing, and Jesus is inviting us to keep going deeper. Wake up out of the, you know, torpid mess that we're in and go deeper with Jesus. To say yes and to keep saying yes, to live and move into the house of love, out of the house of fear, and then fourthly, to engage the mission, the mission and objectives of Jesus. Kingdom living, saying yes to Christ. I was with a friend this week and he has, he's in Vancouver, he lives in Vancouver, but he's in Toronto, and he, he deals with Christian businessmen and women who are kind of in the 1% category, and he works with them to help and encourage them to go deeper, and, and not just go deeper in their faith, but to bring Christ into all the spheres of, of their living, and he refers to this as kingdom living. Will we engage in kingdom living? Will we say yes to Jesus, not just on Sundays at church, but also when I'm at work, in my business, when I'm you know, in my recreation, when I'm with my family, that I'm engaging Jesus in all of these spheres, kingdom living, his language. But it's a discipleship that's a mature discipleship that keeps saying yes. So as we conclude, when we think in terms of our identity with Jesus, will we open ourselves up with him? Will we accept who he claims to be and who he is as our risen Lord and live for him faithfully and in an engaged manner where it's a dynamic saying of yes for his glory, for his purposes, and not just for our own, you know, recreation and comfort. So I close with this statement. It is enough that Christ goes with us on our journey. We do not judge his care for us, nor the state of our discipleship, note, by the roughness of the seas over which we sail. We rejoice in the Lord, not in our current circumstances. So we're not just saying, oh me, oh my, oh me, oh my, 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 the, 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 the lake is rough right now and I'm having a hard time. No, it's beyond that. That may be the case. But we rejoice in the Lord in all situations and give thanks because our eye is on him, our eye is on the prize. And not just the challenges that we have in this moment. So may we hear who is Jesus for us. May this story in some way engender faith, a response, an active response of saying yes, and I say these words and offer to you them this Easter Sunday.
In Christ's name, amen.